0: Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. I've been doing film reviews since 1996. Check them all out at Quipster.net. That's at Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out my other podcast called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Just search for it when you're there at my website. That's at Quipster.net. Today I'm going to be looking at the third and final of the films I'm going to be reviewing in the Mad Max trilogy, as it once was known, at least that was before Mad Max Fury Road came out a few years before this recording here. I'm going to end my look at Mad Max here with Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome from 1985. The fourth film is just too far outside of my range, and the film series was supposed to end here anyway, so... I think it's a good stopping point, at least as far as the Mad Max films from the 80s. This, of course, brings back Mel Gibson, but along with Mel Gibson comes Tina Turner in a sizable supporting role. Helen Boudet, Bruce Spence, Adam Cockburn, Angelo Rossito, and many others are in this film. George Miller shares the directorial duties here with George Ogilvy for reasons I'll explain in a moment. The screenplay is by Terry Hayes and George Miller. It's a PG-13 rated film, unlike the first two films. This one is not an R-rated movie. This does still have violence and language. The runtime is an hour and 47 minutes. Now, this is the third in the original Mad Max trilogy, as I mentioned. Beyond Thunderdome, it represents the most expensive film in the post-apocalyptic series, as well as, arguably, the least satisfying. It's the first to be funded, at least in part, by a major Hollywood studio here, Warner Brothers. And that also means that there's going to be a lot of corporate suits trying to provide input on where they think the series should go to be profitable, as you would expect from a Hollywood studio release. And while there's a certain admiration that one can have for co-writer and co-director George Miller for trying to defy expectations by actually taking the series in a direction that no one would have expected... He also manages to take it to places that few really wanted the franchise to go. In terms of my own Blu-ray collection, to kind of satirize one of the famous lines of the script of this movie, two Mad Max films still enter my player. One film I tend to leave on the shelf. Now in Beyond Thunderdome, it's set a few years after the events of The Road Warrior. Max's nomadic travels lead him to Bartertown. Bartertown, which as the name implies, is the methane-fueled hub, where anyone can go to exchange something they have for something they need. The town is overseen by Auntie, played by Tina Turner, although it's really run by a dwarf named Naster, played by Angelo Rosito, who gets into a scuffle with Max, where the only resolution that anyone will abide by is to battle to the death in this caged arena called Thunderdome. Following his ordeal, Max ends up making his way to a desert oasis full of children awaiting the return of adults and who see Max as a messianic figure named Captain Walker, who is foretold to come back to these children and to take them to this fabled Tomorrow Morrow land with his magic ability to deliver flight. Beyond Thunderdome is a decidedly less violent film than the first two movies in this franchise. It goes for, as I mentioned, a PG-13 rating instead of the originals R. Those were hard R films, pretty much. In fact, there were scenes that were taken out from those first two films because they were so hard that they wouldn't get past the Australian or American censors. Here you won't find any grisly dismemberments or rape or really much true sense of dread for a world gone mad. Instead, this movie plays like a children's fable much of the time. It mixes elements from J.M. Barry's Peter Pan along with William Golding's Lord of the Flies, which this was intended to be a post-apocalyptic version of Lord of the Flies that George Miller was coming up with, but he ended up realizing that, hey, what if Mad Max was the person who ended up finding these kids, and then the third Mad Max was born. They ended up shoehorning in this road warrior, regurgitating climax with marauding vehicles against a truck running tireless on a train track, just to keep the Mad Max purists from claiming that a shark had been jumped several times during the writing process. The bookends to this film feel like a Mad Max film, surrounding a movie that does not. In fact, as I mentioned, this film was not intended to be a Mad Max film in its genesis. About this group of children waiting for a savior, Miller and his co-screenwriter Hayes deciding that Mad Max could actually be that savior, and they retold the script to fit the Mad Max world. Tina Turner proves to be a nice addition to the series, although it's kind of a disappointment that the role is relatively skimpy for someone with such a striking on-screen personality. Bruce Spence, the gyro captain from the Road Warrior, reappears here too, along with a child that looks a great deal like the feral kid, also from the Road Warrior. But apparently they're supposed to be different characters here, despite Spence's character also being a pilot here named Jedediah. I mean, we've only seen two people who can operate flying machines in the Mad Max universe, and they both look exactly the same. Kind of confusing there. Reportedly, George Miller himself was not up to directing anything more then the action scenes, because he lost his friend, Byron Kennedy, who was a producer for the series in a helicopter accident while he was scouting locations for this film. In fact, this movie ends with For Byron before the credits as an homage to his unfortunate passing. First time feature director George Ogilvy he collaborated with George Miller before on a television miniseries in 1983 called The Dismissal. He came in to shoot the stuff in between the action sequences, and that may have resulted in the movie's lack of a cohesive vibe for some people. Maurice Jarre he takes over the scoring duties from Brian May. Brian May composed the music for the first two entries and actually was coming into his own, but Jare coming in here gives the movie an entirely different vibe in its score, and that goes along with its story. While May's suspenseful score may be missed for some, it's really hard to touch Jare. He was a three-time Oscar winner. He scored classic compositions, epic films like Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago. If you have the opportunity to get him on board, you'd be crazy to pass that up. Beyond Thunderdome would prove to be a big success all around the world, although in some places it did actually make less money than The Road Warrior, including its native country of Australia. In the United States, it earned a respectable $36 million, and a lot of the success could be due to the hit songs that were given extra benefit. Tina Turner's popularity in the mid-1980s was sky high. Two hit songs on the soundtrack, including the Grammy and Golden Globe-nominated We Don't Need Another Hero, that would be Tina Turner's second-highest charting single in her entire career as a solo artist. That ended up ranking number two on the Billboard charts, and it would become a number one smash in other places around the world, Canada, Germany, Switzerland, and it's native Australia. The only single that charted higher in the United States was her song from the previous year called What's Love Got to Do With It. Its follow-up on the charts, One of the Living, which is used as the opening critic's song to Beyond Thunderdome, it made its way to number 15 on the Billboard charts, and it did score Tina Turner a Grammy Award for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance. Set design, cinematography... Uh, Stellar stunt work, those are the only aspects of this loopy and semi-comedic film that I would consider to be above par as far as the Mad Max universe. Unfortunately, the overstuffed and sometimes non-intelligible story, there are some scant characterizations here. A lot of the acting in this movie is pretty spotty, and these elements do tend to mar the movie overall. Unfortunately, despite a pretty huge budget, the action sequences still don't quite match the thrills of the previous two entries, and that leaves Beyond Thunderdome somewhat dissatisfying to most who might be looking for a continuation of the excitement levels with George Miller's previous balls-out, visceral approach. And by dressing all of these actors and giving them nowhere to go that many cared to follow, all but the most diehard of fans sang a variation of the hit Tina Turner end credit song and sang We Don't Need Another Sequel, and it pretty much ended here for, well, three decades at least until Mad Max Fury Road made the series come back with a vengeance. Although without Mel Gibson, it should be noted, but fans didn't care. In fact, most of the people that really love Mad Max Fury Road were not necessarily OG Mad Max fans. They ended up becoming new Mad Max fans. For a new generation of kids, I guess that's appropriate considering this movie is about the next generation taking over. Why not let them take over the Mad Max series as a whole? So, All in all, this is a movie that I used to not like. I've warmed up to it over the years. I kind of like it now, even though it pales in significance to The Road Warrior. But I'll put it at a very marginal three stars, just squeaking over the recommendation line. Three stars out of four for those people who enjoy the Mad Max films. You certainly are going to get the most mileage out of it. At the very least, some people actually champion this film as a kind of a cult classic because it takes this series into such a different direction that it really kind of stands out on its own as this kind of very strange way of making a sequel and appreciated on that level. I can respect that, even though I do think that an opportunity was here to really kick the series into another plane even beyond the road warrior i guess that's what fury road is all about in the end so three stars out of four is what i give mad max beyond thunderdome and that's where we're going to leave mad max out there in the australian outback but i'm not going to leave the australian outback or just australia in general for long in fact my very next movie is an australian film it does feature trucks or at least one truck but it's a very different vibe. It's more of a suspense thriller, a Hitchcockian movie from 1981 called Road Games. It features Jamie Lee Curtis, Stacey Keach, and it's a movie I've only seen once before, but I kind of liked it. So I hope that you'll check that out for next week. Road Games from 1981 on the next episode of Around the World in 80s Movies. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you have your own thoughts on the Mad Max series in general, which Mad Max movie is your favorite? You know, mine is Road Warrior, but maybe some people have a lot of differing opinions as to why another movie in this franchise is worthy of that moniker. I would like to hear from you about that. You can find my contact information at my website. That's at quimster.net, dot net. Until next time, thanks, everyone, for joining me. On this trip around the world in 80s movies.